Welcome to episode 125 of the Fertility Podcast. If it's your first listen, hello, I'm Natalie, your host. I've been making this podcast for four years after having successful fertility treatment and being a broadcaster and deciding to give a voice to what for me was massively overwhelming and what I know for many and possibly why you're here, just this crazy place you find yourself in when you realise that having a baby isn't actually going to be as straightforward as you'd assumed. So there's over 100 episodes for you to have a listen to and if you're listening via iTunes, please do rate and review this podcast because it's brilliant to get the word out there especially as today's episode is all about fertility education and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and it's been helping you and you give me such amazing feedback to say that it does help then that is what the aim is okay it's to empower to inform to educate and my guest today is going to be talking about a new british fertility education initiative in fact that's what it's called and at the end i'm going to give you all the ways in which you can get in touch because if you are somewhere around the world doing something to help others understand about their fertility education i really want to hear from you because the more of us sharing what we do to help others will mean that we all know more along the way and hopefully have more success Okay, so sit back, relax, or if you're on the move, plug in, enjoy, and I really hope you find this of interest. So I'm now going to welcome Professor Joyce Harper to the podcast. She's been a professor at the Women's Institute for Health for, I think, 30 years now. Is that right, Joyce? Welcome. I've been working in the field, fertility field for 30 years. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm delighted to, to talk to you about the Fertility Education Initiative, which has had a whole load of press coverage at the moment, which is very exciting. We were just talking about how the, the National Press have already abbreviated it to the FEI, which maybe that's how we'll refer to it for ease. But just talk to me about how it's all started and who's involved because you've got a, a really interesting group of people collaborating on this, haven't you? Yes, it's a, it's a very exciting project. So as I said, I've worked in fertility for 30 years. I'm very passionate about education. So I've been running master's courses for over 20 years. But um, I've been very interested from the beginning in making sure that anyone who's interested in fertility or has a fertility issue, so that's from young people to adults who are going on their fertility journey, and I felt it's very important to educate them and make sure that they can make informed choices because there's some quite complicated things that they need to understand about fertility, especially female fertility. So I was on the executive of the British Fertility Society a couple of years ago and Adam Bailey at that time was chair. He's a professor at Leeds and um, we had been talking about fertility education and we decided to move this forward. So we thought the best way would be to involve people that had been involved with sex education because they've got more of a history of trying to educate uh, people, uh, children and adults, about uh, sex education. So we got together a great group of stakeholders from people such as um, Sexpression to the Sex Education Forum to Brooke Advisory, um, etc., etc., So we got these people together and we had many meetings about brainstorming what we should do. And very importantly, in 2016, we held what we called a health summit at the Royal College of Obs and Gynae, where, again, we were sort of brainstorming what do people want to know about their fertility. We then decided what to call our initiative. So we decided on the Fertility Education Initiative. And then very excitingly, we met Jessica Hepburn at the summit that we had in 2016. And Jessica is an amazing artistic director who for several years has been running the world's only 
Fertility Festival. So she gets together amazing artists who are doing art around fertility and fertility experts. And we come together over a weekend and talk about all of these things together. It's, it's an amazing way to learn. And Jessica and her colleague, uh, Gabby Vorta, they were very excited about the Fertility Education Initiative. And they said, right, let's, let's use the arts to try and deliver this message. So we've just had a week-long pilot uh, where we've been working with artists and uh, young adults uh, from 16 to 21 and fertility experts and other adults and teachers to try and see, is this a good idea to take into schools? Could we actually make some sort of workshop or intervention or performance that we take into schools so we can educate um, school children about fertility but one of the first questions was actually do they even want to know about it at, at sort of 16 they're thinking of other things they're thinking of how not to have children but we did think from our ad hoc experience that young adults do think about the future and about where they'd like to be and about having a family I know my 15 year old son's already mentioned that you know he'd like to have a family and where he'd like to live so it was absolutely great last week that we heard from the kids Yes, please tell us this information. This is amazing information that we want to know so that we can understand um, our own fertility journey in the future. Uh, they said what they want to know is they want to know some facts. Yeah. They want to know some nuts and bolts and some science around fertility. We exposed them to eight different um, performances. Uh, we did them as workshops. So there were four visual artists and four theatre artists and they'd made workshops to present to these um, young people. And uh, they, they were very, very engaged. And they thought the arts was an excellent way to become engaged with this, this information and to hear people's stories. Because with the arts, most of these are quite personal stories of the artists. But then they also wanted time for discussion. So these, those are the three main things they, they want to, us to tell them. And the Fertility Education Initiative's aims are to educate about fertility, so the, again, the nuts and bolts, um, but also modern families. So how can we make children in 2018 and beyond? So, you know, the, the option of not having children, the option of single women, um, gay couples, lesbian couples, how can we help those people to decide on their fertility journey? And then lastly, they did want to know what we've called reproductive science, but basically what technology can we do in the IVF clinic to try and help those various groups of people to have children? So it's a massive sort of thing. It's a massive, massive thing. <laughs> There's a number of things there that I want to just pick up on because I will put all the links for Fertility Fest in the show notes for our chat. I was at the first one and spoke with Jessica and she's been a regular guest on the show so we can link people back to that. And when I experienced Fertility Fest, having experienced the fertility show, the difference in the kind of warmth there with the way people were sharing their stories and the way people were receiving that information was really apparent. And I was talking to lots of people there who were saying it was such a lovely way when you've been so overwhelmed about this type of information and often overwhelmed in a bad way to, to engage in it differently and more positively. And I think that's something really special in what the arts can bring to this kind of information. My real education need at the moment is for people to have conversations and, and dialogue 
two-way conversations and and I think if they don't know about things and this is the beauty of education if they don't know about things they can't ask about it yeah. and with the art we give them a way of showing these sorts of issues that can happen with fertility one of the theatre pieces we showed them was Mama's Little Angel and it talks about it's a monologue of a woman um, who has been diagnosed they don't they don't tell you what the diagnosis is but at 15 she's told she can't have children she's got uh, something happens and to her physically and um, she she has a condition that will prevent her having ch- her own children and um, you know the, the t- teenagers we work with found that so amazing they'd never thought about that if they, if they don't know about something then they can't have a discussion about it so using you know, some some young gay people might not realize that male or female that they can have a family yeah so again if they don't know they can't discuss it so i think this project is just absolutely brilliant because you know we don't want teachers standing up there with a powerpoint talking to the children in a in a very unpersonal way but having the art to do this for me is a no-brainer it's just fabulous absolutely fabulous and what you just mentioned there about sharing that information finding the right balance of how much information and you're talking about how teenagers talked about wanting the facts I think is so key because I was talking to my 18 year old niece about her fertility she was asking me about my podcast and I was just telling her about something that I'd recently spoken to an expert about who'd given me some stats on like the prime age to try and have three children being kind of early 20s and she was kind of terrified after what I'd said she came back to me she's about to head off to university to become a lawyer and what she said that it'd been really playing on her mind like worrying her because she wants to have this career and now I've put into the mix that if she wants to have three children she needs to start thinking about it at 24 so I think it's really important as well that we we do find that balance in not wanting to scare youngsters we just want like you say to have that dialogue and enable them to ask the questions and like I'd said to her I just want you to be thinking about it rather than thinking oh I'll wait till you know gone 30 odd which is something that I had done and you know I've ended up being in a position where we had to have fertility treatment and the the ultimate aim like you were talking about is to get this on the curriculum in UK schools a detailed knowledge being shared on the syllabus about reproductive health that's right isn't it yeah I'll share my fertility journey as well so I I knew all of this information I worked in the field. At 31, 32, found myself single after a long relationship. Knew I should be moving rapidly and then went out with someone inappropriate for a a few years and then found myself at 35. And I don't know, looking back now, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know where those years, years just disappear. Yeah. So I met my, um, my partner at 35 um, we had a very frank conversation right at the beginning. I did not want to mess around if he didn't want to have kids immediately. Yep. Um, he did. And um, then I had major problems and I went through five years of fertility treatment. And having always thought I'd have kids in early in my early 30s, delivered my first son just before my 40th birthday. And then I had frozen embryo transfer and had twins at 42. So... Okay. Um, I mean, even when we know the information, so even someone like me, um, we I think some of us get in a denial mode, especially I think the trickiest years for a woman is 30 to 35 um, because a lot of people are, are still not ready and they're worrying and they're d- delaying things. So um, after we've done this project with schools, I which I hope I hope I hope by 2020 we have got 
fertility education embedded in schools nationally. Um, but I think that at the same time, hand in hand with this, I would really like to produce something that um, we show regularly to um, adults, men and women in their 20s and 30s, to remind them and to make sure, well, first make sure they do understand about the fertility decline in women um, and modern families, but also um, to to remind them. And so I, I, we all know too many people, 35, trying to get pregnant. We see them in our IVF units daily. Yeah. And then the worst is 38, 39. You know, as I was trying to get pregnant at 38, 39, your chances really, really are becoming very small. So we we need to make sure... I, I don't want people to be childless against their choices. Childless by choice is, uh, you know, lots of people, a growing number of people, I think, uh, decide not to have children now because that pressure is off people. Well, you know, 20 years ago, you have to get married and have children, blah, blah, blah. But now that pressure's gone. But I want people to achieve what they want to achieve in the fertility journey. So I think I think we're going to have to produce something I have got thoughts in my head about what we do, so, similar Great. to what we do for the schools. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's a roadshow or uh, some theatre that we take regularly. We're, we're doing all this work in the UK, but it's a global issue. Definitely. Um, so we, we really want to lead the way. There are some other countries that have done some great pieces of work around fertility education. But I think the beauty of working with Gabby and Jessica is taking us to a whole nother level, which is going to make it a really unique piece of work. And the programme, I mean, the first Fertility Fest was a weekend. This is like a whole week long of stuff. There's so much. I was just talking to somebody about it the other day because we're working out what we can kind of capture from an audio point of view. We were trying to work out the number of hours of, of what we actually want to capture to be able to share. Because if you are able to attend, and like I say, all the details will be on the show notes, you're not going to be able to get to see everything. So we want to make sure that you can see everything after the event and there's a lot of information that's going to be shared which is brilliant and I, I just want to go back on um, one of the things that you're hoping to achieve in what you're teaching in the schools because I, I, I've seen that there's the mention of the toll on mental health of trying and failing and you want to get that across as well because a lot of the press coverage and I know there's been a lot written about what you're doing talking about how the media is also to blame that IVF and egg freezing are fail safes and, and they're often that well we know that they're not and you want to get that point across in the educational program don't you absolutely we need to let people know that trying to get pregnant through IVF over 35 is tricky and really tricky over 40 um, but yes um, egg freezing I I'm doing some study on egg freezing I'm doing um, a study with Kylie Baldwin from De Montfort University asking women who are freezing their eggs their motivation and um, hopes of when they're freezing their eggs but we, we don't have a huge amount of data. We need to make sure that people are aware that if they freeze their eggs, we, we don't really know how successful it's going to be. It's absolutely not a guarantee. It's very expensive. So it's not going to be suitable for everybody. I don't know. It's a, it's a really tricky one. I think there are, there are advantages and disadvantages of it. Well, also, I did an episode recently speaking to Zainab Girton, the Bridge Centre, about this 10-year limit and how this is the first year, 2018, where people that did freeze their eggs 10 years ago now got to decide to, to let them perish. Or I can't remember how it's described, but you have to, if, if you're not going to actually use, you know, your eggs. And we spoke about how when Rita Aura spoke out about freezing hers, there was a big rush for people to go and she was having to explain to people if you're 26 are you going to be ready at 36 if she froze them in the uk yes 
we do have this problem. Now, obviously, the tin rule is not being moved at the moment because people are worried that if you froze them at 40, really, your chances are of good quality eggs at 40 is really low. This is another important thing. I would really encourage people to freeze them if they were going to do it in their 20s for sure because then your eggs are of much better quality and quantity. Um, freezing them at 35 is, you know, it, it, you're definitely going to have a much lower success as you would trying to get pregnant at 35 compared to 25. I really think the HFEA needs to extend extend this. Obviously, I think their worry is that, that they don't, they feel very, everyone feel very nervous about lots of 60-year-old women um, putting their 25-year-old eggs back yeah. um, and getting pregnant. But but if you think about the maths, it doesn't make sense because, you know, you'd have to have frozen them at 50, which is impossible. Mm. Uh, no, no, one would, no one should be allowing anyone to freeze an egg at 50. You probably wouldn't find any eggs anyway. I think really in the UK, we've got to um, remove that 10-year or at least make it a reasonable or you know at least say people have got to use them by the time they're 55 or something yeah because we're not doing the best for our patients at the moment for sure the the hfea data shows that the majority of women at the moment freezing their eggs in the uk are over 35 that's going to seriously affect the data the chance of success is absolutely related to your age as we've known the 40 years that ivf has been around and, and fertility since forever We've known that it's obviously harder to get pregnant at 35 than at 25. What do you feel about the feedback you've had since the Fertility Education Project has been out there? I mean, I looked at your Facebook Live and it's had like 3.6 thousand views. It's had a lot of attention already, uh, lots of shares. It's only like a three minute snippet where you all kind of introduce yourself. And obviously you've done the first stage of this project at the National Theatre in the UK. And the next phase is going to be tied in with Fertility Fest, as, as we've said. And you've got all these great plans. There's a lot of chat in the National Press front page in the in the broadsheets, which is amazing. I know you've been busy speaking press. Are you feeling that the message is penetrating at the rate you, you'd hope? Because I feel it is. I feel that we're starting to really get serious about how we're understanding this. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, obviously prompted by working with the young adults last week. Um, we then had, you know, something more solid to say, right, you know, look here, this is the piece of work that we're doing and this is what we want to do. We've been really bowled over by the press, but... Yeah, now now the hard work starts because mm. now we've got to think what shall we produce to try and take into schools which we want to pilot over the next sort of 18 months I think as far as the fertility education initiative goes we'll be putting you know some hard work behind the scenes trying to decide how we make a production or workshop or, or how we do this which obviously will be uh, piloted at uh, Fertility Fest so I think um, uh, things will quieten down a little bit, but I'm also writing a scientific paper uh, about what we experienced last week because I always feel that when I take in information at, at, a, at a, um, an event such as last week, I want to share that with other people because I found it absolutely fascinating. I learned so much and I want to make sure others in the fertility field um, are aware and um, can share that information that we took on. So I think when, when we have the paper come out, um, we'll get um, a lot more um, press coverage and then when, obviously Fertility Fest, um, I think things will really take off. So it's going to be an interesting time. We've got to try and keep that momentum going. The important aims of the Fertility Education Initiative are to produce things 
to help people learn. We need to build all of this up. So we've got to work on the arts intervention for schools. We've got to work on the animation and we've got to work on the website and we've got to work producing something for adults as well. So we've got a lot to do. do. (laughs) But it's good, it's good. And also you've got the various ways that... um, we're sharing uh, the the fertility story with what Jessica does and with me with the podcast. We're kind of starting as well to be able to collaborate more because we're all joining up and getting that shared message out. And I think one of the key things with youngsters anyway is making sure you're engaging with them in the way they like to engage. So it's brilliant you talked about the animation because, you know, the, the kind of consumption of cool little videos and, and bits and snippets of, of content are what youngsters like isn't it so we need to make sure we're on those right platforms it's not just going to be a website it's going to be you know multimedia and and, and you know it will change with the times and we, we need to you know we've talked a lot about youtube and getting maybe a youtuber yeah. or a few youtubers um really on board with this so so there's we've got loads of ideas this is just the beginning we're really pleased you know in the last week that we've got even our name out there you know I, the last meeting we had in january I said to everyone, we've got to make everyone un- know who the Fertility Education Initiative are. Yeah. Um, so that's got to be our aim. And we're only in March and we're all over the newspapers. Yeah, so I, f- I feel really pleased that now people know that there's a Fertility Education Initiative. Yeah. So now it's just building on that, keeping going, producing lots of different ways of getting the message across and then working with other countries and getting seeing what we can do with them to um, help them make sure people are aware because you know the average age of first conception globally for women is increasing quite rapidly Mm. so in the UK now it's over 30 so the majority you know um, as I said it's the average age of first conception so um, averagely women are not having children until they're over 30 and that's when the fertility issues start to kick in and it's going to increase so what what worries me when it gets to 35 mm. um you know 35 is really a critical age where for the vast majority of women the fertility is really starting to decline but also i know from guests i've had on the podcast issues that are affecting women's infertility people are able to talk more on social media in these amazing communities that there are where people wouldn't have had that support before and they're starting to therefore understand more about what it is and especially if they're in communities where if a woman can't have children she can be completely ostracized by her community and then left alone and what I'm hearing is is that there are these brilliant online communities that are helping get that word out that there's support and there's education and there's you know other ways that people can live their lives and I think again as I was saying connecting all those dots with all the methods that we now have is is it's a really exciting time for all of this yeah absolutely 30 years ago when I started working in fertility I started writing a book because I was aware that my friends at that time didn't understand a lot about that. We were all trying not to get pregnant then and they didn't understand about that. And 30 years on, they now don't understand about the menopause um, and everything in between <laughs> um, of, of that journey of, of women um, through their age. So um, it's almost complete. Um, it's called What Every Woman Should Know. Um, and again, I'm, I'm trying with the, with the written word trying to get that information through there so um there's obviously there's a chapter on infertility um there's a there's a chapter on fertility getting pregnant etc so should hopefully be ready this summer and so that's not got enough on you just just no no (laughs) 
do you know I almost forgot about her? I was talking about all the things we're doing, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I almost forgot about I'm going to forget about the book. Actually, I, I should have finished the last chapter and I haven't because I've been doing all fertility education. This is the year that I really want to take things forward. I, I was doing lots of lab research for the last uh, 26, 27 years um, and, and teaching students. But now's, now's the time, certainly for me personally, it's really a public engagement time to impart all this knowledge that I've gained and information to anyone who wants to hear it. So that's really where I'm heading. Well, I look forward to talking to you more along the way because it's brilliant what's happening. It's brilliant the kind of excitement around it and that, like we've said, there has been this press coverage and it can only it can only increase. So we will keep in touch. I'll see you in May. I'll put all the links to the different newspaper articles that we've had in, in the UK and all your contact details of the um, Fertility Education Initiative's website on there as well. And Joyce, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Leslie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Fertility Podcast is supported by Ovusense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, Ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon, so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now you use it at night while you sleep and then in the morning, you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now, Ovusense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk or call 0333-939951. So, the Fertility Education Initiative website will be on the show notes for this episode. I forgot to give a show note link in my last episode. If you're listening um, consecutively, I really apologise. That has never happened before. And if you're ever listening to a podcast episode and I don't give you the show notes, just do a search at thefertilitypodcast.com and you'll find it, I promise you. The show notes for this episode, however, are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash learning. Okay, and Joyce's details and the different newspaper articles that I spoke about uh, will all be there. And if, as I said at the start of this episode, you are working on some kind of fertility education initiative or you're somewhere where you've seen something in your local press, please do let me know because this podcast is global and the more different conversations I can have with people leading these initiatives or just trying to get them going and raise awareness, then we can all help each other understand more and pass on what we know. So please do email me, natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. If you want to follow me on social media, it's at fertilitypoddy on Twitter and Instagram. Please do join my closed Facebook group, which is called Talk Fertility. We carry on the conversation as Joyce was talking about her emphasis on education is this dialogue and that's what I try to do with this podcast so thank you for listening take care and until the next time